bit about what the goal is for this weekend. Well, the goal for this weekend is to get as many people into D.C. as possible to defend their right to vote. That's really what it is. And, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's such a small thing, but it's really not. If this steamrolls through, I, I, I fear for the implications of what it could be later on down the road in other aspects in this country. I mean, just being able to unilaterally ban a product off a of fake moral panic is just absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. And it's something that nobody, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, conservative or liberal, libertarian, should be okay with because these prohibitionist policies, they never work. They've never worked. I can't think of one thing in this country where they've got, nope, we're banning it. It's done. It's over with. It's not coming back where it's, it's been successful. I, I, I don't understand why they keep doing this when they know it's going to fail unless there's an ulterior motive. That's just, that's just how I feel about it. What could the ulterior, ulterior motive be? I, personally, I think it ties back into the MSA, really, to be honest with you. Those states are they're, they're not looking too good with those payments, and they're going to default on those bonds. And if they do, the interest on them, they're not going to be able to repay it, even if we go back to smoking with the current taxation rate. So that's going to definitely go up. You know, I, I just really think that's what it's all about. I think it all boils around to the master settlement agreement, and uh, we didn't have their permission to quit smoking. Ah, did not have their permission to quit smoking. That mm -hmm. is a strange, strange animal uh, for you to bring up. What does that mean? Well, I mean, think about it. They have this glorious agreement with the tobacco companies where it's like, hey, we're going to pay you money and uh, you're going to let us to continue to exist. And, uh, you know, the people that are paying that bill, which would be us, uh, decided that uh, we're not going to do that. And they said, yeah, you don't have our permission to leave. You get back here. And we said, no, we're not going to do that. And they go, we're going to ban it. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So we got to take a stand and tell them, you know, my health is not a master settlement payment. I'm not folding. It's not happening. So, uh, Matt, Tristan just mentioned, I think you were uh, settling back into your chair there. And he I was getting some, yeah. It, let me know if the audio is better in chat now, guys. All right. So, sorry, go ahead. No, not a problem. Um, so Tristan was mentioning that there isn't, anything else that he can think of in the U.S. that's ever been banned like this before. And so I wanted to mention, let's, let's think of some of the, the big things that this particular group of people, regardless if they're left or right, you all know I like to call them progressives, uh, which can exist on both left or right. You, we need to call them something. We can't just call them those people, right? But so oil, they've had it in for oil, banned, no. They've had it in for gasoline and cars, banned, no. They've had it in for fracking, banned, no. They've got it in for, obviously, tobacco, banned, no. In fact, they encourage it. They say smoking's better for you than vaping. And then you can start going through the list of all the top horrible things that are out there, and they're all still legal. Mm -hmm. How is it that vaping has become this monster that they're able to effectively do something. They're on the verge of wiping out the entire industry, a multi-billion dollar a year industry in the US and, and forever hobbling the rest of the world's industry. I mean, let's not kid yourself. When they do this, the stigma that'll happen on vaping will be, it'll be, un, you won't, will not be able to recover from this. So Matt, what's your opinion on how this happened? Well, I mean, they banned alcohol, but that was decades ago, 100 years ago or something now, right? Um, and they have banned flavored cigarettes before, so we've seen that. But uh, I think that 
Well, there's there's so many. This is there's so many different reasons behind this. I, I obviously think like you know I think you guys were talking about MSA that plays a factor whether or not it's passively playing a factor or there's actually conversations in in back rooms about trying to preserve the the money. I don't know. Um, also, I think that people have in this country especially have a very puritanical. Um, way of looking at things when it comes to substances, especially. So when it comes to anything, it's like a quit or die scenario. Um, our form of harm reduction isn't the only form of harm reduction that's gotten nailed. If you read about the history of harm reduction back when it really started taking root in like the, the eighties, you know, they were talking about harm reduction for opioids. They were doing needle exchanges, stuff like that. That was getting hammered as well. They don't like the in-between from, from, from what, what I see. They don't like that in between. Like, they don't feel like it's real quitting. It's not good enough. And, uh, you know, they have, people tend to have this no pain, no gain mentality where, you know, so wait, you're, you quit smoking cigarettes. You went to something that's better for you, but it's also more enjoyable than smoking. That doesn't sit right with us. So I, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things going on there. Um, whether, you know, be corruption and money, but also just, just the way that they, they, people are still a little bit behind in this country when it comes to, to harm reduction and, and drug policy. Harm reduction and drug policy. You know, I think that in partly that is the misnomer for, you know, that is kind of hurt vaping in one way is because we're trying to associate so, so strongly with harm reduction, which makes sense. But I think a lot of people actually have, like you were saying, a real issue with the harm reduction aspect of it. And, and in some ways, it falls into the opponent's hands a bit because we participate in demonizing nicotine to the extent that we discuss it as a very bad drug that needs, you know, this harm reduction apparatus around it. Do you, if you understand what I'm saying on that? Tristan? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, you know, it's I was I was watching uh, Grim Green show when he talked about the rally and the entire argument that the industry's had over the years of how he was he was reading about an, a book that he read and how they said that tying it to just solely to be about the health aspect would be our undoing because all it takes is one death, one illness, one uh, uh, let, let me actually add on that one mysterious illness because it's what we have going now um, to unravel all of that. And then, well, what are you left with? You've got nothing, right? You got nothing. If that was your whole shtick, you got nothing. But if you make it about personal choice, civil liberties, the right to choose what you believe is a healthier alternative, it's your choice. Then it becomes, you know, a very, very, very solid foundation of an argument because you could say to the government, you know, who are you to tell me what I can do with my body? Who, who are you? You know, how, how, how are you taking a choice away from me between, you know, vaping and cigarettes? Who are you to do this? You know, your, your argument is so much more solid. It has much more meat to it. You know, it can't fall apart that way because they can't go, oh, we're the government. You're beat. Slam. Well, that's pretty un-American. You know, no politician wants to be labeled as un-American. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Yeah, you know. not even not even the ones that are doing like America. Yeah, See, exactly. I, I I think that I I tend to be wishy washy in a lot of things, and people will tell me that. But I just don't think that there's one perfect argument for every person. So, like, absolutely agree. Like, you know, it's your body, it's your choice. That type of argument, I feel that way as well. I'm an adult. I should have the right to do what I want. 
whether no matter how dangerous it is to me. But I do think health play, plays, a, plays a part as well. And on your point, um, when you were saying, you know, demonize, I, I don't think that calling vaping harm reduction is demonizing nicotine. We're demonizing the uh, delivery method. And, you know, bottom line is, is that smoking has killed a lot of people. And so a cleaner way to get that, that nicotine fix that and, and, uh, and to still be using that drug is, is, a, is a net positive. Let me shoot us over here to uh, an article that was just out today, ABC News in Australia. Doctors at odds over value of vaping as study finds it's just as harmful as cigarettes. <sighs> and obviously the standard overall uh, smashing of vaping. But what really struck me um, as, you're, as I was going through this, besides everything else, was this line down here where the question is asked by the doctor is vaping the new methadone oh, i suppose at this point in time it's a similarity and that's what i'm getting at when yeah I'm that, saying, that's an imperfect comparison but methadone has saved people's lives it's not I, I don't like i don't think we should be comparing vaping to methadone either two different two different drugs two different levels of harm but methadone is harm reduction when, when, it's, when it's being administered in a clinic when you're comparing it to people shooting up heroin on the streets. So, I mean, it's, it is something that saved people's lives. No, and with no, without a doubt, without a doubt. So I think one of the, the things that I'd like to, us to tease out a bit here in our conversation this evening, considering the fact that the ban is imminent and then the protest is imminent, is that, you know, understanding that it's always been hard to get the messaging right. And some people with inside the vaping community are pretty passionate about the different avenues in which to go. How have you tackled getting everybody together on message for Saturday? And what is that message? Well, you know, I really, for me personally, it's been rallying people around that, you know, your vote is your voice. Even if you were going to turn around and say, you know, there's a very passionate people, the Trump supporters, and I respect that passion. It's, it's something to see. But, you know, I've been trying to explain to everybody, listen, you know, your vote is your leverage. Don't run around saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to vote for him anyway. You're just, you know, that's like going to the table when you're playing poker, having nothing, flipping your cards over and going, I've got Jack and just slide it all across the table everybody's going to call you you know but in the other in the other part of it is is that you know you have to be very very stern with it's my freedom of choice who are you to take it away from me and that seems to resonate with people a lot and just by some of the feedback i've gotten in the chat here we're going to be running with matt said matt said too my body my choice because people that resonated with a lot of people just now man i like that so you know that's really what it's it's been about personal choice that's that's the whole crux of the entire argument that they can't take isn't they when you say it's my choice well, what do, you what do they be, respond? I stopped myself from saying that because you're getting into abortion activists at that point because they're kind of the ones that coined the term. So, but I mean, it still it stands obviously when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, uh, you know your body, you can do what you want with it when it comes to this, you know when it comes to substances and whatnot. But I, I think you know our message is really going to be simple, like Tristan said. It's the whole "We vape, we vote" message. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and really, it's just we're going to have a lot of good speakers there. People are going to be talking about their own personal stories. I think that a good 
point with this rally is to personalize everybody. I mean, you have people trying to marginalize vapors right now and call them bots and say that they're or say that they're big tobacco shills. I mean, I talked to a reporter today and she she seemed to have a pretty hard um, time just grasping the idea that vapors, not just vape business owners, but vapors are passionate about this, like that they actually care that much. And so I tried to to personalize it as to why someone would care so much. I gave her my story. I gave her other people's stories. And so just the fact that, you know, we can get thousands of vapors coming together as, as one and uh, to basically, you know, show that we're outraged with, with what's happening and uh, that, uh, you know, we're passionate about these products. Some people are single issue voters about these products and that, uh, you know, it's, it's just a way to rise up basically. So the, I'm going to push both of you on this. Um, so the signs are just going to say we vape, we vote mm -hmm. because, because I asked that because that, that is sans the, a, a real political message, right? Like, you know, if it's my body, my right, my choice, all these kinds of th those, you know, liberty arguments and stuff like that, those are got more of a resonating political message than, mm -hmm. than the catch all. And we do know that there has been pushback from some of the president's advisors to his campaign manager saying, well, we don't quite really believe that these are going to be single issue voters, knowing that a large majority of vapors or, or a good number, at least half, are Democratic voters uh, who are not likely to vote for Trump on this issue. And I think there's some calculating going on in the White House about that. Tristan? You know, and that that be that as it may, but a lot of them actually really are single issue voters. I, I deal with it in the group every day, and some of them are very passionate about that. There's also a bunch that are very passionate, and they are, you know, they are that way. They're going to vote down the line straight R, and that's and that's fine. But the point is, is that come election day, if they're sitting there, I mean, driven back to smoking or being forced to use a tobacco product, you know, or vaping a tobacco flavor, that may change their mind. You know, everything sounds good when you say it in your head until you're actually faced with the, you know, the consequences of the reality that you've chosen. It always sounds good. I'll do it no matter what until it's something that you've really come to hate, you know. We all work very hard to disassociate nicotine delivery with tobacco flavorings. We've worked very hard on that in our lives, you know, in our journey through vaping. And to have that undone in an instant could be one hell of an eye opener for folks. And I really think it will be. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also good to, good to point out, like, just prohibition does not work. History time and time again has, has shown us that. Um it's never a good policy. And it's not like it's so unheard of that vaping is a voting issue for some people because other drug policies have been voting issues for people, uh, you know, throughout the, the decades. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I think the beauty of the vaping industry is the fact that we're all ex smokers and ex smokers come from all over the spectrum, different ages, different races, different social classes, different political parties. And we can all come together over this one issue that we're all super passionate about because we feel like it saved our lives. And I think that that passion is going to show at the rally. So let me ask you this question. This goes to both of you. I'd like an answer from each of you. Um, and let me start with you, Matt, considering that you just kind of took us there. And that's my question is, is that how much of that passion has been impacted by the disaster 
that this uh, the scandal that we should be framing it as of the CDC completely, totally lying and confusing in the public's mind uh, THC black market illicit vapes, which caused these lung illnesses and e-cigarettes and nicotine vaping. So this is now two months in and a lot has been deflated from the narrative of vaping being virtuous. So in the four years that we've been covering this issue, vaping, for, without a doubt, right, it, it, there was a virtue behind vaping. But now it's literally associated for millions of people with death. So how, how is that? How has that narrative changed and impacted the passion? It's definitely activated people more than I've ever seen them before. But this was also kind of a slow burn thing. I mean, we had I Vape, I Vote shirts back in 2015. I still have one, you know. And, and so for just about as long as I've been vaping since 2013, this industry and the community has been under threat. You had the deeming rule and then and then the deeming rule being finalized in 2016 there's been other threats of of vape bans and flavor bans on local levels um people, uh speaking out against vaping you've had campaign for tobacco free kids hammer and people like stanton glance hammering vaping for years now and so it's kind of been this slow buildup, and then yeah the the lung illness issue and uh you know the the state flavor bans that we saw and then culminating into this federal flavor ban is just like kind of blown the top off. And, and I've, I've never seen this many vapors as angry and, and activated as, as, you know, as we saw in the past. Tristan? Yeah, it's, it's definitely created, you know, something that we did not expect to happen. You know, I expected a really good turnout. I expected a really good, you know, amount of anger behind it. But it has been absolute madness people are pissed that they've been lied to absolutely furious and i mean you know the, the sad thing is is that these are the orgs that are absolutely you know they're, they're responsible for the safety of the people is what they're supposed to be and they've been anything but they've been nothing part of a propaganda machine so now people really feel like they've been screwed because you know they're thinking oh you know what cdc is going to do their job it's going to come out that it was something else and it took them forever to do it and they knew it the whole time they knew the whole time and they lied and people know this and they're pissed. So now they're coming out, not just because of, you know, what Trump said, but they're tired of the entire charade. Like this dog and pony show has got to end. And the only way it's going to end is uh, if people do their thing. It's really so, what it is. Truly. Uh, and I totally understand the pissed off aspect. How do you think that will manifest itself at the event? Because it's going to be pretty raw. Oh, yeah, for sure. But you know what? If, if how people have been acting and channeling that anger and doing productive things like blowing up the White House, writing emails, you know, the White House phone lines, we own those. Every time we launch a campaign, oh, we shut those bad boys down. Big, big, big wait times to, to get through because uh, there's so many people on there. It's, it's inspiring. You know, and just the other day, you know, Trump went live right after they, uh, they we found out that they were going to pull some nonsense with the OMB, and we owned that live feed. It was something to behold. So I don't think it's going to be negative. I think it's brought out all the people that were burnt and said, "I'm done. I just can't take it anymore." And they came back, and rejuvenated them. It's it's been quite the experience and something to see firsthand. So I think it's going to be good. Would you describe yourself, Tristan, 
don't need to get into too many details, but would you be a leaning towards Trump kind of guy? I'm a pretty centrist kind of guy. You know what I mean? I, I don't lean really one way or the other. Uh, it's it's really about who I view is not, you know, evil. Somebody that's going to, you know, be okay with sentencing people to go back to smoking and half of those people are going to die. I can't support that. I, I just can't. I, I mean, I don't see how anybody could. You know, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we're running back into socialism and this, that, and the other thing. And that's all fine and good. But until something starts to break the chain that is the two-party system, it's just going to continue. That's the way I see things. You mentioned Trump supporters, and you've had some uh, chit-chats with them over, you know, recent past. How have they been reacting? Because, of course, if they're a vapor, and if they're passionate about vaping, and they're also a Trump supporter, mm -hmm. are they going through a major dissonance right now? Are they, <laughs> yeah. How yeah. are they reacting? Yeah, that's what's happening. In, in most cases, that's what's happening. And it's it's a it's it's a sad thing to watch because, you know, for a long time, Trump was touted out going to save the industry. He's going to save vaping. It's going to happen. And then September 11th happened and people were pissed. I mean, furious. And I'm not talking about the average person. I'm talking about Trump supporters. They were mad and rightfully show they should be. They absolutely should be. This was somebody that was propped up and said, he's going to do it. He's the anti-regulation guy. And you put out those two executive orders and they were like, he's done it. We're in, boys. This is it. And it didn't happen. So they, a lot of them feel you know, really disillusioned right now. But there are some that just have blind support. It's still pretty inspiring to see that much loyalty in someone. I'm not even mad. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Yeah, the arguments that I've been seeing, the same ones that you were just referencing, uh, the pushback saying, well, if you don't vote for Trump, if you vote, you know, Democrat uh, to hurt him or don't show up at all, uh, then we'll end up with socialism or communism, that kind of thing. And I certainly am very well versed in all of these ideologies. And trust me, a totalitarian administrative state is no better. Nope, it's not. It's absolutely not. So, Matt, let me ask you this last on the political question until I decide to ask another, I guess. But um, you've got uh, you, you're on the little bit more center-ish side. You know, I would say we've t talked before. You're a bit more on the progressive side. How has uh, the vapors that you know that align with more of the progressive kind of thinking, how have they been handling uh, this imminent destruction of the industry? Um, I don't think anyone's happy. I also think it's important to point out, like, you kind of, you have multiple different groups on the right and the left. So you have libertarian leaning people that are like left libertarians and right libertarians, both support freedom and want wanting to do what you, you know, like whatever they want with their bodies. Um, you know, so you have a lot of like the, you know, on drug policy, for example, you have a lot on the left that are like legalize everything you know, and then you have that on the libertarian right as well. So no one, you know, on this issue wants to see authoritarianism, especially when it's not science based and uh, it makes no sense. And we have decades of, of, of history showing that prohibition is a horrible policy and it makes for unsafe products. It makes for more people in prisons. It makes for... Um, more people breaking the law and it hands it hand it hands the industry to drug dealers basically and so um 
you know, I, I from the people that I've talked to that are vapors on the left and the right, they all definitely have the same feeling that this is just horrible policy, bottom line. Yeah, fair enough. Tristan, um, walk our viewers through. So for those viewers that are going to be at the event on Saturday, just walk us through the rest of us if and, and those that are going too. You know, are they getting in on Friday? What time do they need to be there on Saturday? What can they expect? What's what's the rally cry? All of that. So the rally is between the hours of 12 and 4 at the Ellipse on Saturday. Um, we're going to be setting up in the beginning part of the day, so that'll all be done by the time everybody gets there. And from there, the, the rally will take place under the We Vape, We Vote. Um, and there will be several speakers there. We've actually got a stacked deck when it comes to speakers, and that will that will all transpire between that 12 and 4 time period. And then once everything is done, as it's concluded, we're going to leave in a professional manner, and um, us and the marshals are going to clean the park up just like we left it. You know, got it just like we got it. It's going to be a open and shut kind of thing. It's going to be very professionally done, and uh, I hope everybody behaves themselves because it's uh, it's my name in the paperwork. <laughs> so you definitely you definitely are the organizer then that's that's uh good um so what's the media strategy oh that's that's matt's thing right there he's been doing a killer job i'll let him handle that one um we've been we've got i've done multiple interviews with media we are going to have media there but greg Connolly has also been helping us out and he has a yes. pr firm that uh works with him and so uh and so he's been talking into a lot of media. He's formulating a, a press release. But then myself and Greg, and I think Sherwin has done a few as well, have, have done some interviews about this beforehand. So if this was opponents running something like this, they'd have all of their people in lockstep. They would have handed out talking points. Uh, they would have done, you know, pre-prep cheers and stuff like that. And then in a lot of cases, they would uh, limit people's ability to talk to the media. So... That's how they control their message, right? Well, we um, are we we are trying to do that where where we you know we only want certain designated people to talk to the media. As far as making it too um, choreographed, though, like that's just not organic. You know, when they when they show up with a hundred kids wearing the same shirts and they all do the same chant but look bored as hell, like that's not organic. Obviously, people will all be doing you know similar chants. We're gonna have a lot of the same signs. We're going to have certain people that are designated to the media. We have marshals that are going to be handling crowd control with radios and stuff like that. But we also want to show that, you know, this is a diverse crowd of people. These these are vapors come from all walks of life. We're going to have some, uh, um, you know, older folks speaking. We're going to have people from some of the org speaking, like like Alex from CASA. I'm going to be speaking. Tristan's going to be speaking. Like, we're going to have all different kinds of people that are going to be talking. And so we do want to show the diversity of, of our, uh, of our community as well. And I was going to ask that, is there any special speakers, uh, you can share with us, Tristan? I think everybody pretty much knows who's coming. It's all the major trade orgs are coming, you know, both of both the federal ones, Safada and VTA will be there. Of course, you got Casa coming. They're going to be there and speaking as well. James Jarvis is going to be speaking. Everybody that everyone knows is going to be there. So it's not like, you know, only a few showed up. It's literally, everyone an industry that is normally divided united on a single day for the most important event that this industry has ever seen it's beautiful then there's speakers like like paul blair is going to be speaking. yes Lin Lin lindsey stroud greg conley 
Tony from VTA, uh, Mark from uh, Safada, uh, Alex from Casa. You know, so like it's definitely kind of a kumbaya moment getting all these getting all these different groups together and having you know some representation from each. And then there's going to be a lot of just consumers that are speaking as well, telling their own personal stories and and uh, how uh, vaping has helped them. And all the speeches have been vetted too. Sherwin's been really good at, at that. So yeah. you have had some message control happening. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, that's good. That's that that's heartening to hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very much so. Uh, before we uh, continue along here in what we're doing, I need to just jump over to our uh, support site. This is support.regulatorwatch.com. And uh, as always, we're making our passionate plea for folks and viewers who want to support our content who have so far been great. You kept the lights on in October and it's fantastic. I've still got to actually switch, take off our big alert that I've got down here. Though November, we're fundraising for that now. And uh, I'd like to just right now make sure that we highlight a couple of our great supporters. And of course, Flavor Art, who is supporting this video and has been supporting Rugwatch for four years. And we will not be on the air if it was not for Sean Casey and the good people over at Flavor Art. And my heart breaks for them because of course, they're at the center of this whole thing. It's the flavors that we all love and uh, that's what's getting banned. So thanks everybody. Uh, everybody should send a thanks to Flavor Art in some way or manner they can. Stealth, Premium Labs, and of course our monthly rock stars, and we've got some new ones that joined us, CJ Vapors, uh, Starlight, who's I think out of Miami, I think that's where they are. Um, that's great, but all, a lot of Canadian. We've got room for Americans here. Where are the Americans to fill this? There's only two Americans in here in our monthly uh, supporters, and you know, we're looking for 100, 250 bucks a month. That'd be great if you can do that. And then our one-time heroes, of course, and they put in some decent money. And then our legacy supporters, which are all great companies that are responsible for RegWatch being here today. Again, that's support.regulatorwatch.com. And then I'm going to get one. I, I need to hire some people that know how to twist arms, maybe break them. Oh, somebody from the CDC. That's who I'll get. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say Vaping Legion's pretty good at that. <laughs> well, that's well, good, good, good. So, you guys, let's uh, talk a little bit about the heart of the issue. And that, of course, is... Um, did I just leave it? I didn't. There it is. There it is. The heart of the issue. And that is our fine, young American teens. They're just a joy. This entire cohort of kids who have been so responsible with their use of products. And then their fine parents who have done such a great job disciplining them and so forth. So these are the new numbers that have just come out. National Youth Tobacco Survey 2019. So if you recall, last year at this time, we were just getting the numbers from 2018. So then Commissioner Scott Gottlieb came out on September 18th and started this whole thing by announcing that there was an epidemic of youth vaping and that that epidemic posed a clear and present danger to a generation of youth. And it's that language that they used uh, that's powered the whole thing. And so, of course, what we know now and what we even knew then is that they didn't have the numbers to back that up. 
and it wasn't even until December of 2018 that finally the real core numbers came and they were less than stellar in terms of proving an epidemic. So here they've had another year to send out their people and to try to bring back the numbers to prove their thesis. And so 2019 data just released 5.9% daily use. And then the frequent use is 9.4%. And then have used an e-cigarette in the past 30 days is 27.5%. And that's the percentage number that you know is used in the media. It's used everywhere. It's the past 30-day use. According to FDA, and this is a tweet that they sent out. This is five hours ago. Over 5 million youth are currently using e-cigarettes. And then in 2018, it was 3.6 million. And remember, that was already an epidemic. And so now it's 5 million in 2019. So, and this is what's crazy, is since 2011, this is the FDA putting it out. Uh, current e-cigarette use among youth has increased dramatically, while current cigarette use among youth has continued to decline. So that pretty much guarantees that any academic and any journal that releases any study proving or seeking to prove a gateway theory, well, those journals just must be burnt to the ground. Yeah. Because, I mean, would you not agree, Tristan? I do. I absolutely do. The data is absolutely stacked against them now. Matt? Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think with like with, with the flavor part of it, how they're now trying to show how mint is such a problem, all that really showed is that when you take away you know the good tasting flavors, they're gonna move to people are gonna move to like the, the next best tasting flavor. So, you know, they're now saying, Oh, look, you know, they're making a case right there because they don't want to ban tobacco and menthol, but they're gonna ban mint and other flavors. And so they're trying to say, look, tobacco and menthol aren't aren't that much of a problem. But any youth that are using a mint jewel are most likely just going to go to a menthol because the ne next best tasting flavor. So, uh, you know, and, and with, there's more, you know, arguments about why they would stick with a jewel because of nicotine content and stuff. But that's a different conversation. They're completely missing the fact when I was a kid, kids huffed gasoline. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they don't know kids very well, apparently. Yeah, clearly they don't. Well, they know kids enough that they know how to get them to do things, and that's why all of the hysteria around Jewel and the way they glamorized it and mm -hmm. romanticized it, they, they, they caused the epidemic, if there is an epidemic. And, you know, also you got to look at the, the pattern that they're following, too. First, they took away the flavors, and they were like, oh, surely this will cause an increase in the smoking rates, and we'll have everything we need. That's it, boys. It's done. Cash it in. Our work here is done. And the new study came out, and it's like, oh, they don't like they like mint now. Okay, so now we got to ban mint. Mint's got to go. And oh, you know, menthol. You know what? Menthol's not so bad. Well, I wonder why that is. Oh, that's right. Menthol cigarettes. That's right. You know. So then you got them smoking technically those two flavors again. You got them right back where you want them. They're going to fall right back into smoking. You've set the environment for this to happen. You're trying to have that correlate so that you can run with that narrative and not be called on it and have it be bulletproof. That's their yeah, that's the Yeah, that's the messed up thing here is that, you know, like there was a recent study basically debunking the gateway method saying, you know, there is no ga gateway or gateway effect. Sorry, that there is no gateway effect. 
but the bands create the gateway effect. So yeah, yeah, there wasn't one, but obviously if you ban more and more vape products, more, more of those vapors will go to smoking and then poof gateway effect. you know, it's, so it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. Exactly and, that. And let's, let's, let's all remember that out of all of, let's say what millions and millions of words written in mainstream media in just the last six months, say there even just two, but the millions of words and the hundreds of thousands of, you know, TV hours and talking heads and everything else that's on this, how much of that has talked about adult smokers? Next to nothing. Literally next to nothing. Unless you're talking about, you know, things put out by Greg Gutfield. Next to nothing. It's sad. Because they're ultimately the ones that suffer and they're creating the future adult smokers by their actions. And personally, I feel like they know it. Smokers have been so stigmatized over the years that there is less empathy for them than just about any other, you know, uh, addict out there nowadays. And and I think that there's, there's also a class issue involved here because there's less and you know, the smoking rates have gone way, way down in like the, the middle and upper classes. And so there's a class issue there. And, you know, the smokers are kind of the deplorables. That's the way they're looked at now. And also, one, of the, one other point worth bringing out is that part of why I think we see so much outrage about teen vaping is that we're seeing the teens that are vaping are from the middle and upper classes. So there was a garbage study done where basically they went through garbage of different schools and they found that in the middle and upper class schools, it was primarily Juul stuff, other e-cig stuff. Then they went through the garbage of the you know, poor, uh, poor community schools, and they found cigars and cigarettes. But where's the outrage about that? There's none. But once the rich and, and, and kids, uh, basically the rich white kids are vaping, that's, uh, that's where all the outrage comes from. And that's all the moms all of a sudden are, are up in arms. I mean, look at the paved moms. They're all elitist hoity-toity moms from New York that, that, uh, rub shoulders with the rich and powerful. So I definitely think there's something there that needs to be looked at more about why so much outrage about teen vaping when there's teens using other substances, other tobacco products and other substances in general. Yeah. Yeah. There is something more. We've, we've certainly talked about the class aspect of this uh, in the past on, on our show and you know, it's tough to get into it, uh, you know, with whole heart because it really cracks open some issues. And for one, let, let me localize, you know, one of the things I wanted to say here um, with regard to the THC, you know, one of the subconscious reasons or conscious reasons why they could not bring themselves to uh, nail down THC as the issue is that it opens up a rat's nest for Democrats uh, and, let's, and I'll say Democrats because, of course, 13 senators for the last two years keep signing letters to the FDA. They just did again. Uh, there's no Republicans on that. So uh, politically, let me just localize it, Democrats, for this particular part of the conversation. If you were going to do something about black market THC products that are killing Americans, well, what do you do? Well, first of all, 
you got to get a, a control of the drug. Well, you can't launch a war on cannabis if you're a Democrat. I mean, how do you, you can't do that. I mean, that puts you straight back into the 50s. You can on nicotine because so much demonization has happened on nicotine. Uh, you know, and like you said, from a class issue, Matt, is that, you know, it seems to be white, lower class. So, you know, those are the deplorables. So they're easier to push away. But if you may, but if you go after THC to try to get control of it, right, then it's a war on on marijuana. And so much of that marijuana, as we know, is coming in from Mexico or grown in California, California by gangs. Um, and that's where the pesticides are getting put on the marijuana, all of the, you know, the bad, all of the bad stuff that exists there. How do you get control of that? Build yeah. a wall, build a wall. Well, Is that how you I do think it? that, I think that, that it's an argument, another argument that prohibition doesn't work, which is ironic because then they go and ban nicotine vape products, which could create more black markets, you know, which is silly. But I mean, I'm a harm reduction absolutist. And I, and I also, I think cannabis is a harm reduction, uh, tool for a lot of people and i'm pro legalization but the issue though too is that you can't tax it too heavily so when you have cannabis in certain states that's taxed super high then you're you're still opening a route for for dealers to come in and undercut the legal stuff um because you know like for example california they have fairly high taxes but they also have high cost of entry into the market because of the different regulations there, the, the, the licenses, you know, there, there's all kinds of hoops to jump through. So you, there's gotta be a balance there. So where I think it should be legal, but you also can't put the legal cannabis manufacturers at a massive disadvantage where, you know, it opens up a, a hole for the, uh, the illegal people to come through and, and undercut them. If I'm making sense. No, I mean, that makes some sense. I think I think it partly just proves my point in that it's a rat's nest issue on the marijuana it's definitely a side. can of worms. Oh, yeah, it's sure. a can of worms. And the Democrats, they don't want any part of that. So it's like, don't want to see it. And it's just so much easier considering that CDC has had it in for nicotine and smoking and vaping, you know, for so long. It just to to to, to listen to people talk about science and that they believe in science, and if they still believe that vaping is more harmful than smoking, and they believe what their government is telling them on this issue as well as others, but just this issue alone, then, then they're fooling themselves. And that's the biggest worry for me. Tristan, worry for me is that we have an entire, you know, huge, massive chunk of the population that are completely, totally fine and not questioning on one issue, though, They'll think that science may be corrupted on another issue. They're fully on board with everything science is telling them. And you really can't have both positions when it comes to science. Tristan? Did it not, I guess it didn't come back on that time, huh? Oh, there you are. All right, good. So, you know, this is literally just like reefer madness all over again, where you're, the government is coming out with bogus propaganda to slam an entire industry and people that have already awoken and are aware of it on the marijuana, you know, for the most part, just kind of sitting there staring at it going, yep, that's, that's, that's them, them vape products, they're bad. But at the same time, most of them aren't. But the general populace, that's, that's the problem. 
And you would think that after a while, you know, after being lied to so many times over and over again throughout history, that they would wise up to this, but they haven't. But that's ultimately what we need to start doing. We need to take the narrative back away from those that have it now. And I think that it's going to start with this rally. I really do. I think this is the tipping point for us. This is where it has to begin. I think yeah, that it's it's sorry, perfect timing for this. It's it's perfect timing for this. The news actually cares. There's reporters are looking for hot vape stories all the time. And and while there's been a shitload of horrible reporting, like just crap reporting on this, there has been some good reporting too where there's they're starting to at least try to peel the layers away a little bit more and and really dig deeper in, into the issue. And so it's just perfect time for, for all of this to where, you know, if we would have done this rally last year, even if we had a pretty decent turnout, we probably wouldn't even get pressed there. They wouldn't care enough. Uh, but right now, because it's such a, you know, that, I, I hate to be too much of an optimist, but the one silver lining to all this shit show that's happening is, is it's actually forcing more people to take a closer look at what's going on. They're taking a closer look at what the UK is doing. Most when I when I talk to most reporters, they have no clue what the UK is doing. You tell them that that there's vape shops and hospitals over there, and their mind is freaking blown. They don't believe you. They do not believe you. I'm like, look into it. You know, it's there. Look at all the uh, the government uh, pro vaping uh, advertising and stuff that goes on over there. Look at Stoptober and their 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 quick campaigns and all that. And like, usually they're just like, whoa. And especially with some on the left, because then they start putting it together like. Well, the UK has socialized medicine and they promote these products. Maybe there's something to that. I'm not going to get into the argument, you know, for or against socialized medicine, but I'm just saying like there's th th this has been a good chance for education when it when it comes to uh, the the public and and while the the masses are still against us, at least we're starting to get some contrarians to kind of move over to our side and realize that that there's more to this than just this this big bad vaping industry that's trying to hook their kids. Matt, you did a uh, live stream with uh, the vaping Greek, Demetrius Agrifodius, who we know well. And I understand that you had a good conversation in terms of if the vaping ban happens, what will that look like materially in actual process? And from what I understand, it was a good conversation. Are you able to share any of that? Yeah, I think that, um, well, Dimitri and other people as well think that obviously we're going to see some lawsuits. Uh, we are we know that the orgs are already are already looking at that. Um, there is a good argument to be made that some 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 major steps were skipped with this and uh, FDA's pulling some shady business. And uh, so we're going to see lawsuits and, and I'm sure they're going to be trying to get an injunction right away. Now, if that doesn't happen, there's no injunction and the ban goes into place after that 30-day grace period. Um, what it comes down to is enforcement. How are they going to enforce this? Are they Because we, we've seen from the past that FDA has a big lack of enforcement. There are a lot of bark and, and not as much bite. Um, you know, will they try to get states involved to enforce for them? But then they'd have to pay the states. Um, you know, and so then another question is what kind of... Uh, Loopholes can people get away with? Will people be able to get away with doing nick shots and zero milligram liquid or doing flavor shots or whatever? Like there's so many potential ways this could play out. And the FDA, you know, to use the term term again, has opened a big ass can of worms when they've never had to try to, to get something like this under wraps before. 
So, I mean, you know, I, I'm not necessarily concerned about the seasoned vapors, people like me or Tristan or most people in the chat. They'll find a way to get the products that they want, you know. My concern is, is that we're going to see less smokers converting, and we're also going to see some of the types that maybe went into their, you know, they, they're not active online, they're not internet savvy, they've never bought a product online, they maybe just always went into their local vape shop, uh, you know, once a week to buy what they wanted, and then they're going to show up there one day, and that shop could be closed, and then they're going to go back to smoking. So, you know, while I don't think that this is the end for the vape industry, it's definitely a setback, and it definitely, it, it slows down, you know, our progress. And Tristan, uh, Matt just mentioned people going back to smoking. We already know that's happening. Is that not correct? Yeah, that is happening. Actually, I saw one of the uh, anti-tobacco zealots on Twitter applauding somebody putting down a jewel and going back to smoking cigarettes. Think about how absurd that is. The people that exist, that their job, their sole purpose for existing, the whole reason the org exists is to eliminate smoking, are applauding somebody for putting down a jewel and going back to traditional cigarettes. That is absolute insanity. And, you know, uh, somebody in chat brought up earlier, a little earlier, I want to touch on that because I think it's important, that uh, I have seen it as well, that people are actually getting flack for just vaping in public by random people. It, yeah. it's, it's crazy times that these are that somebody is trying to better themselves and they're getting shamed for it and told that something that we know for a fact kills people is better for them. It's right. absurd. Yeah, let me put this out to both of you because that definitely is a, a bleak area that I've got in my crazy brain is that, look, if, if you are going to accept the fact that PMTA was going to do this anyhow in six months, right? And I'm not saying this is on purpose. I'm saying that CDC was searching for a pretext to then do what they did, which was on purpose. Um, but think about it, right? If you are going to close down 14,000 retail locations and completely decimate 150,000 jobs and literally force people back to smoking, you need, you need a health reason to do that. It, mm -hmm. it needs to be a health emergency. It, it's not enough that teens uh, uptick on teens. They needed death uh, associated with vaping to move vaping out of the virtuous of it saves lives into the lethal risk category that's tobacco, which by the way will help them later in the end because it'll only be big tobacco owning it and then it'll just make sense to tax it the same way because of course all those people died and we had to shut down all those businesses. By the mere fact of shutting them all down, it proves the, their point, whether it was true or not, that the vaping uh, you know, products were harmful. Otherwise, why would the government have shut it down? That's just the way regular people think. So if they didn't have this, and this was six months from now, and PMTA was rolling around, there'd be a lot of pushback in every single community with having tons of these stores closing and people losing their jobs. And with no medical issue, no, no emergency, no death, nothing around, that could have been a really big problem. I don't think they could have pulled off mm -mm. the gutting of the industry with PMTA without the lung deaths. No, I don't. I don't think so either. Uh, I feel like that they would have had in a you know pushback like they were definitely not anticipating. That's why they kept kicking the can down the road. Unfortunately, because the entire argument was based on the whole health aspect, that's kind of you know where we're at right now. So we've got to make the change. 
I will say this though, that uh, it is kind of fitting that it all falls into place, you know, into place way too perfectly. I mean, think about it. They needed an in. You said it best. They they needed something to make this about a health crisis. I mean, even look at the illnesses when they came out. You know what I mean? They scream lipoid pneumonia, lipoid pneumonia, lipoid pneumonia. And as soon as it came out with, oh, somebody screwed up a batch of carts, not a problem. Then it became mysterious illness. I watched that change happen almost overnight. It went from something that they knew that it was. It was lipoid pneumonia or, or vapor lung or some other nonsense. They gave it a name and it was able to be refuted. And as soon as they saw that that was being done in their comment section, narrative changed just like that and they've been doing it on the fly ever since it started and you know you, you just like last week you saw people saying oh yeah look just like that people have stopped dying from carts and then we had two more in the last two days so well, it's and, being done and, deliberately yeah and that's the thing is uh there's only so so much control uh that they're going to have over this you know so they have to keep they have to keep moving and changing the narrative so matt do you agree that and again, I'll let me just just think of a local community. If this had never happened, and in six months from now, they were shutting down vaping across the country for no reason, but some regulatory reason, right? What the hell? Like, there would be some real major pushback. Instead, you've got actual strangers now walking up to people vaping going, how dare yeah. you? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, I mean... Some people have gone as far to say, are the lung illnesses even real? I think that they're real. Uh, you know, the, the the cannabis community was even warning about, you know, some of these products that were, that you know, some of the fillers and stuff. They were warning about this last year, all the way to two, 2017. But the way the CDC, hand, the CDC was handed a gift. They've always been, you know, even Scott Gottlieb had said they they were always skeptical of vaping. They were never as on board with with vaping being a harm reduction tool as even FDA was and FDA wasn't all that on board either. And so did they drag their feet? Did they purposefully make it super vague and, uh, and, uh, instill even more fear than, than they really needed to? Yeah, I think they did, you know, and, and they've, they've made, you know, like, like my, Dr. Michael Siegel has made some good points on this where the CDC has called something with less data. So for example, they'll say, well, we still have, you know, uh, 13% that are reporting only using nicotine. Well, they've called salmonella cases or E. coli cases for with less. You're never going to get to 100%. Like, that's unheard of with epidemiology and, and with, with stuff like this. But when, you know, all signs point to a certain type of product, the data tends to support it. You know, maybe it's not a 100%, but you're pretty freaking close. Usually they'll make an absolute call on that and say, okay, guys, we know is this, we know it's coming from this place, case closed, you know, whatever. And also I think that another reason why, another reason why maybe they've, they've dragged their feet a little bit too is, is that there's no easy answers here. So to come out and say, Hey guys, we know that this is a black market thing. It's THC, but we can't really do anything about it because we have no jurisdiction here. Go talk to the DEA. Maybe they'll do something about it. But there's nothing CDC can do with drug dealers. Um, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic. And so they, they, it's like they purposefully just left it vague and, and put a big cloud over it. And, and uh, it's absolutely harmed the, the, the legal nicotine vaping industry. But it has also harmed the legal 
cannabis industry as well. If you talk to a lot of them, their sales are down 30, 40%, some even more as well. So, um, you know, the, the quote unquote legal industries, I get that cannabis is kind of a gray area because it's not federally legal, but it is in some states. They, they've all taken a hit because of these black market products. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, this is, I mean, all of vaping did uh, obviously get caught up in this. You guys, we're going to be ramping up soon, but there's a couple of more things that I like to do. One more kind of deep in the weeds, and then after we're going to pull up and uh, get into uh, uh, this great post. I'm sure you've seen it by Planet of the Apes on the big shutdown. And uh, just uh, so we can show some of the impact and get you guys to talk about that, and then we'll finish up with a raw, raw. Um, there's an interesting thing that I just wanted to share with our viewers and, and you all, and that is since the since we first started covering this issue it, it jumped out at me i remember i remember this would be in 2015 uh the fall of 2015 and i remember going into the cdc getting into their database and like downloading like you know years uh of their uh youth survey and going through and getting the questions and and just i was astonished by just any human being reading those questions, you'd realize, well, they're trying to get certain answers with their surveys. I mean, mm -hmm. this, it was just so clear. So my first real introduction into the whole vaping thing was deep, deep, deep CDC um, looking at it. So um, one of the things that bothered me so much was the 30 day use. And that was a huge problem. And I've been, there isn't a researcher that we've had on the show. And as you all know, the list is huge, you know, for the researchers that have been on our show. And um, when when Linda Bald came on, she was still with UK Cancer Research at the time, and walked through their gateway uh, study that they had and just demolished that. And we did a separate video that we released that was just on the 30-day use thing. And just, she did such a wonderful job really ripping it apart. And it's always, a, it's always seemed to me to be that that measure is responsible for everything. I mean, it was back then, it still is today. It's the measure that defines the whole topic. You can't have an epidemic of teen vaping if you don't use the 30-day use. And for yeah. all of our viewers, as you said, you know, they're gonna have some idea about this, but I mean, it could just be a kid just trying a vape at a party once in 30 days and that's in and part of the epidemic. So um, in this great book, uh, and I didn't do a scan because we were so late getting going, it's uh, The People Versus Big Tobacco. Uh, great book, How the States Took on the Cigarette Giant. So it's obviously, you know, on behalf of the tobacco control community. And so inside of it is the appendix for the settlement. And just so everybody know, official, I mean, I'll do it all the time. I call it master settlement agreement all the time. It's not really an M the MSA. It's, just, it's actually the settlement. <laughs> so, but let me just bring this up. They've got, and some of you will be familiar with this, some won't. It's the look back provision. And this sets targets for the dramatic reduction of current levels of underage tobacco use as measured by the University of Michigan's National High School Drug Use Survey monitoring the future. Underage use of cigarette products must decline by at least 30% from estimated levels over the last decade by the fifth year after the legislation takes effect, and then again, keeps going down, reducing over the course of 10 years. Underage use of, uh, and same with smokeless. 
So this is a mandatory thing. So what happens here is this, is that they'll look at the numbers and they'll go, okay, has there been the mandatory reductions? So the tobacco industry is responsible for the mandatory reductions, not the tobacco control that's getting all of the money and doing all of the bullying and pushing around, right? So mm -hmm. in the end, they're not, they're not attached to, the, to that, all right? So if the numbers don't go down as much, then the tobacco companies have to pay a penalty, and that's the look back. So that's a lot of extra money going to tobacco control, and most people are familiar with this. And there's, but there's a $2 billion cap. So no matter what, the tobacco companies can't get charged more than two billion bucks. So in the end, they could just skate on uh, teen rates, not even drop them down and just write off a marketing expense for that two billion bucks. I mean, two billion, I mean, that's nothing for them. So, but we know all this. What I find so interesting is that, let me just find this here. So what I find so interesting about this is that the measure that is used to define the, the, the look back provision is not 30 day use, it's daily. So the entire measurement that's used to find the tobacco industry for the poor teen youth rates going up or down or whatever it is, is based on daily. So you would think though that if it was a proper measure, the 30-day measure, which is what has been driving everything here, which is the larger measure, that that would be the one tobacco control would want to use to leach more money out of tobacco control. But instead, because it's the world of legal, right, it's daily. And it just strikes me uh, as just so disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, that was probably something that tobacco companies pushed for too. And, you know, you can't blame them. <laughs> like, it's it's way more accurate to look at everyday use and not go and and write on uh, uh you know the, the the 30 day use the 30 day use number just is is dumb you know and, and like the for example the uk will say they don't have a teen vaping problem and that's because they weight the different date they weight the data differently there's still teens that are experimenting and trying to vape in the last 30 days in the uk as well but they don't put as much weight on that uh, on that 30 day number. But we tend to do that when it when it comes to, you know, creating outrage and, and stuff like that. So it, it is it is ridiculous. And uh, the, the daily is really or at least, the, you know, 20 times in the last month. That's really something that that should be focused on more. Yeah, and I think that for, you know, viewers that are pushing back, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that and hitting FDA and CDC and academics and everything else, you know, why are you quoting 30-day use numbers when, you, you know, daily is what you hold uh, tobacco companies to? Why are tobacco companies held to daily use and vaping is held to 30-day? Well, because they got to cook the narrative. It's the only way it works. The numbers don't jive if they don't do it. So they go on that and run it in, you know, run it to the public who doesn't generally know better. And if you're not involved in this fight, that number looks, you know, appalling to you, because you know, you know, you, I mean, think about it. They, they could say these outrageous numbers and throw these things at you and go, look, vapor bad. Look at these crazy amounts of kids that are using the product, but not if you. But if you look at the way they present the data with those graphs, they don't say that it's daily use five million kids. They say, oh, well, five million kids have used it. That's the number. We're gonna run with it tough if you don't like it 
That's how it is. That's how it is. All right, guys, so our last piece of media here as we're finishing up, this is the Planet of the Apes, the big shutdown. This came out on November 1st. Dave Cross put it together. I love Planet of the Apes, and they've been really kind to RegWatch, too, over the years. And thanks, guys, for all the times you've given shout-out to our coverage. And uh, I don't think we need to go through a ton of this. I think the key thing here is obviously, um, you know, these are pictures of real businesses with doors closing as a result of this. I mean, I mean, it's heartbreaking. How can you be a business person um, and, and not just be torn up over this? Here's another one, the e-cig shed. And then Matt, you have this one posted. And why don't you tell us a little bit about this story here? Um, I actually found that picture from uh, uh, Facebook. I think it was Kenneth Bruce. I think that was his, but yeah, I mean, that's happening all over Washington state right now because of their state ban. And it's, it's pretty gross. And you know, what, what bugs me so much about it is that yes, we get that. I, you know, I'm totally with you guys. The teen epidemic is overblown, but they're also saying when they go and say, Hey, all the teens are using a jewel or some other product out of a C store, but then they create regulations that totally screw the vape shop who are, have already been told are, are not the, the biggest culprits by any means. They're some of the, the uh, best actors in the space when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, uh, um, you know, following the rules, but they're the ones that are getting hit. And just like with the federal flavor ban, you know, they, they keep demonizing Jewel and Jewel's so horrible, but Jewel is going to be just fine. And uh, it's going to be the mom and pop shops like that, that, that get hit. And that does not uh, sit well with me at all. It really bugs me. Yeah, it's pretty tragic. Uh, Tristan, um, let's start wrapping up here. Um, so to you, Please tell us last things on the event that everybody needs to know and have in their mind that are going. And, and is there anything that those who can't make it, what, what can they do? Well, I think we've pretty much thoroughly covered what the people going need to do. Everybody knows that's going what needs to be done. But it's the people that can't make it that are just as equally as important. I don't want them to feel under-addressed. Guys, listen, if you can't make the rally, what you're going to be doing while we're out there is equally as important. Blowing up those White House phones, making those calls, making it happen, saying, hey, look outside, we're out there, we vape, we vote, is going to be just as key. Very importantly so, because, I mean, think about it. If he's not looking outside or refuses to, or the staffers aren't looking outside or refuse to, blowing up the phones lets them know, we know you're in there. And you have to be doing that. It's so important. So please, please, please do not feel dejected because you couldn't go. Don't, don't do that. Your part is just as important, and we appreciate all the energy and time that you're going to dedicate towards it. And we thank you in advance. Fantastic. I'd like to give a shout out to everyone that's, that has supported it in multiple ways though, whether it be the people that have been, you know, sharing info and, get, and getting the word out there, the people that have helped financially, there's been companies that have helped like Mig Vapor. He was in chat earlier. He helped out a ton. Shout out to Mig Vapor. Um, and also the consumers that have helped out financially and donated. We've had a really nice mix of, consumer and business donations where it's been what tristan about 50 50 or so yeah it's actually been a pretty even split and so big shout out to everyone that that's made it possible because we couldn't you know be doing this without any of you 
Well, that's fantastic, guys, and uh, thanks to both of you for showing up today and for our viewers who have tuned in. So that's it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head out, make sure you go to support.regulatorwatch.com and dig in that wallet and toss us a few dollars. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.